Hello, and thank you for listening to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast of Vineyard Church right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can check out our website for more information about our church or find our audio archive with all of our previous messages at www.vineyardchurch.us. You can also subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. Hey, I'm Johnny. I was waving backstage. Um, I think this side of the room might have saw it. Hey, if you if you did give and you haven't got that giving, give it a couple of days before you email me. Um, so we mailed those on Thursday, so you may not have actually received those yet. So if you have, great. If you haven't, let me know by midweek. Hey, um, Chad's going to come out and preach here in a minute, but I get the pleasure of reading our scripture this morning from Matthew 25, 14 through 30. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey. He called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent, depending on each one's ability. And then he went on a journey immediately. The man who had received five talents went and put them to work and earned five more. In the same way, the man who had... Sorry. In the same way, the man with two earned two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled his accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I've earned five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Share in your master's joy. The man with two talents also approached, and he said, Master, you gave me two talents. See, I have earned two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Share in your master's joy. The man who had received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you're a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went off, and I hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. His master replied to him, You evil and lazy servant, if you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers, and I would have received my money back with a little bit of interest when I returned. So take the talent from so he took the talent from him and give it to him. Sorry, let me read that again. So the, so take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has more will be given, and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have even what he will have been taken from him and throw this good for nothing servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the gospel of Christ. Thanks be to God. Like, it's like, ah, oh, great. This is going to be good this morning. Also, look at us. Who would have ever thought? Two weeks in a row, guys. You probably didn't think. I didn't think it was ever going to happen. The perfect storm, storm happened. Lindsay had a COVID throat last week, so she couldn't talk, and then she's gone this week. And much like last week, I told you guys, uh, it's going to be a fun Sunday morning, which in preacher talk means I'm going to have fun. I don't know if you're going to have fun, (laughs) but I'm going to have tons of fun this morning. Lindsay said that I've been preparing this sermon since September. I always like to see what Lindsay says about things. Truth is, I've been preparing this sermon since September of 2016, um, 
if you were in, Bill and Deb were in Knoxville with me, and so they may be like, oh, this sermon. He preaches this anytime he gets a chance. And when I saw we were doing parables, I was like, yep, I'm bringing it back. It's my first time to preach it to you guys. I'm excited. You may not be as excited at the end of this, um, but um, we're going to jump in. Let's pray real quick before we jump in, okay? Uh, So, Jesus, I just want to thank you for your spirit among us this morning. And so, Jesus, I pray for more of your spirit to come now. Now you come in this room, Father, that you would encourage our hearts. That, Father, that in this room, I pray, Lord, that this morning you wouldn't just have us be believers, but you would let us be triers, people that just don't talk about the faith, but people that do the faith, people that enter in, people that aren't worried about failure or success. We're just worried about being faithful. And so, Jesus, we ask for your spirit to come. Encourage hearts, Father. Help us this morning. We ask that you would be near to us. And it's in your name we trust and pray, Jesus. Amen. All right, uh, before... Before we do this, I have a question for us, and I am going to ask someone to answer. And I know, that's super weird. Lindsay did it two weeks, about three weeks. Sorry, I don't remember COVID. We've canceled since then. I think four weeks ago she did it. And if you were with me in Knoxville, you knew I love to ask questions and get people to respond. I haven't done it here because I was afraid it was going to freak you guys out. But see, opened Pandora's box for me four weeks ago. That box, see, everyone's quiet. Everyone's like, oh, no. Am I going to be the one to answer this? So real quick, before I ask the question, I want you to look to the person next to you. I'm going to give you five seconds. Look at them and say, I don't care what you think of me. I'll give you five seconds. (laughs) Some of you wives and husbands said that a little bit too hard. Okay. Now look at someone you don't know and say, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to make you do that. Because here's the truth. I don't care what you think of me. I can't control, like, it's a sucker game. Now, here's the deal. Sometimes I do care what you think of me, but in reality, it's a sucker's game. You can't control what people think of you. And honestly, on Sunday mornings, the reason why I like asking questions is because it gets us out of that lecture sermon mode, and it frees us up. It gets us out of shame, Right? Same. You're worried about what people think of you, so you don't do anything. Questions just seem to do that. It loosens us up in here. So the first question I have this morning, after the last few weeks, who can give me the definition we've been using or the many we've been using for the kingdom of God? Does anyone want to try? Yes. That's good. The rule of reign. Thank you, Johnny, senior pastor over the whole organization. I appreciate, you have no same, sir, and I love it. All right. Um, and so, yeah, it's the rule or reign of God, which, is, which, which means God's control or God's order. Last week, I used the example of your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that second line explains your kingdom come. So when we pray, Lord, let your kingdom come, we're praying for God's will to be done here on earth right now as it is in heaven. And so, who will give me an example of what that looks like? 
healing. Why? Because there's no sick people in heaven. So when we pray for the sick here, heaven comes to earth. God's order comes to earth. Does anyone else have another example? Worship. We worship in heaven, so when the kingdom of God comes, it's a natural discipline for us. We did it this morning. We saw heaven. We were in the midst, and in fact, worship on this earth is the closest thing to what it will be like in heaven. That's why worship with the community of believers is amazing. Amazing. One more. Who has any other? Yes, because is everyone loved in heaven? Yes. You may be like, well, there's people in here I may not love. Well, guess what? They're loved in heaven. So when we move in the kingdom of heaven on earth, we don't dissociate from people. We don't judge people. We love people. We love our enemies sacrificially, and we go all in. That's what the kingdom of heaven looks like when it comes to earth. And then last week, I gave this example that it looks like coming alive in God's presence and us bringing life to everyone every day everywhere. Jesus said this, and this is just an example I saw this week in Matthew 12, 28. If I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And what Jesus is saying, there's no spiritual oppression in heaven, so whenever the kingdom of God comes, it leaves. Oppression leaves your life. And that's what Jesus is saying, and so that's a good example from Jesus, practical, of what happens when the kingdom of God comes. And so last week, we talked about the kingdom value you must have if you're going to be a good kingdom person, which is you must never give up. Because if you're going to go through this life, guys, you're going to encounter hard times. You will pray and move to see the kingdom come, and sometimes the kingdom won't come, right? You'll pray for healing, and someone's not healed. You'll fight for reconciliation in your community, and you'll barely see any movement. And in the midst of it, to be a good kingdom person, you can't give up. You can't let those moments disciple your faith. Because honestly, it's not the triumphs that have a large claim on discipling my faith. It's the failures that I see that disciples my faith. It makes me less expectant. It makes me not enter in as much. And as kingdom people, we can never give up. And today I'm going to talk about a sermon which, if I'm totally honest, it's not my idea. Um, when I was leaning into the kingdom of God and learning the kingdom of God and I just came to the vineyard, um, I was looking up people in the vineyard that Aaron McCarter always talked about. I want to listen to their sermons on it, see if I agreed with them because the jury was still out for me. I wasn't used to um, the theology of the kingdom of God. And I landed on, by accident, a guy that I quote all the way around here named Jordan Sang pastor of Blue Water Mission in Hawaii, and he preached a sermon on try, and it changed my life. Try became one of the biggest parts of my life, and so today, I'm going to try to preach about try, because it has formed my life. Also, I think it's exactly what the parable of the talents, which we are looking at today, is talking about. Now, before I jump in, I want to give you a frame on how to view the Bible and maybe a parable of Jesus. Um, if any of you, how many of you have ever bought a painting for your house and you were excited about it? Um, do you just use any old frame for it? You don't. Because the wrong frame won't bring out the beauty of the painting. The right frame, if you buy the right frame for it, you want to put it on display. You want people to see the beauty of it. So you buy a frame that will bring out the colors of the painting. Really, if you want to display a painting, get the best painting that you want. But if you don't get the right frame, you won't see the beauty of the painting. That's the same with Scripture and this parable. 
Um, and real quick, I want to say, if you're looking at this parable from a Western world view, you're going to distort what it means. Um, you will lose the meaning of it, specifically the Western world view of capitalism, which is about profit, success, and failure. That worldview distorts this parable, and it will distort what you think about God and his kingdom. That worldview permeates the American Christian church in regard to how we function and see the kingdom of God a lot. For example, Jesus, um, who was a man who had no home, um, whose ministry was mostly funded by women. That's just for us who have heard a lot about biblical manhood. Um, that has been kind of an American culture teaching. Jesus was funded by women, largely throughout his ministry. And also, he was nailed to a cross and die. To our, our culture standards, that's not very successful. Um, uh, well, he got nailed to a cross. S sucks for him. Right, that didn't work out, and all cultural would call that weakness and a failure. And I just say all that to say the Western worldview is lacking in, in regard to Jesus and Scripture, largely. And in this chapter, in verse 1, Jesus starts off saying, At the time the kingdom of heaven will be like. And he told a parable, and then we're going to jump into the second one he talked about. In verse 14 it says, For they're just like a man about to go on a journey, the kingdom of God. He called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave them five talents, to another two, to another one talent, depending on each one's ability. Then he went on a journey immediately. The man who had received the five talents went and put them to work and earned five more. In the same way, the man with two earned more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid the master's money. And after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I've earned five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. Now, listen to this. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man with two talents also approached. He said, Master, you gave me two talents. I've earned two more talents. His master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. Now listen, I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Now let's stop here and talk about this. Is the master praising them for faithfulness or success? Faithfulness. Okay. And you may say, well, success. Hold on. We're not done with it yet. He praised them for faithfulness. Now, what did he reward them with? Privilege or responsibility? Responsibility. Responsibility. So in the kingdom of God, if you are faithful with what you are given, faithful, you will be given more responsibility. A Western worldview would say if you're successful with what you have, you're going to get a little bit more privilege. You're going to be a little bit more popular. You're going to have a little bit more esteem in life. But the kingdom of God is not like that. When you're faithful, you get more responsibility, which means it's going to cost you more. Right? The more kids you have, the more it costs you because you're responsible for more. Right? I don't know. I'm just seeing what you guys bless. I bless you in the name of Jesus. Right? 
And so in that, in the kingdom of God, it's about being faithful. And when we're faithful, we get more responsibility, not privilege. Um, Okay, now let's jump into verse 24, which is where all the meat is. The man who had received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. You're a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went off and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. His master replied to him, you evil, lazy servant. If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you would have deposited my money with the bankers, and I would have received money back with with interest when I returned. And this is the meat of the passage. The man thought the master was harsh, gathering what he hadn't worked for. Then look at what the master says, if you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered. Now, the master didn't say, I do reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, but he says, if you knew, meaning, if this is what you think I'm like, if this is what you think I like, he wasn't identifying with the statement. He was saying, but if this is what you believed about me, so he's rationalizing based upon the man's own belief, and he says, if you believe I'm this way, Then you should have deposited my money with the bankers, and I would have received money back with interest when I returned, which in turn, then you should have at least done something. Right? But you did nothing. The master wasn't asking that he get double back. In fact, he would have been fine with interest. Um, But that master was just asking him to do something. He was just asking him to try. Um... The prophet, guys, listen, the prophet is not what he wanted. He just wanted him to be faithful. He just wanted him to try. So in verse 28, so take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good-for-nothing servant in the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That, that leaves you like, man, what is that talking about? And I really never really go into that, but this morning I think we should. What's Jesus getting at there? How do we understand the ending of that? This part of the par- parable makes us nervous and confused, but it really shouldn't. This ending, according to, according to Kenneth Bailey, a linguist and a Middle Eastern expert on culture, especially during Jesus' time, says this is just pronouncing what the unfaithful servant deserves for his unfaithfulness, not what he is actually going to receive. You guys get that? He's pronouncing what he deserves, not what he is actually going to receive. This happens a lot in parables specifically. The parables will normally end without the end of the story being fully drawn out. The parable of the lost son, he goes to the elder brother and says, come into the party. And he says, no, but we don't get the end of the story. We don't know if he actually then comes into the party. Why does Jesus do that? Now he leaves the story open. It's still ongoing, guys. Um, So here you don't know if he repents. And here's a good thing to understand about a Middle Eastern culture, which I just found out this week and why Jesus ends his parables in this way. In our culture, if I tell you you're fired, what does that mean? You're fired. There's no discussion about it. In the Middle Eastern culture, if they come in and say, you're fired, how they respond is like, hmm, this person's mad at me. 
Well, it looks like um, we're going to have to enter some negotiations here. We're going to have to talk about this. I may need to seek some help um, because this is a very serious matter. This person is upset with me. So really, that statement and a statement with us means finality. For them, that means the beginning of a conversation. And so when Jesus says this, we see it as finality. But in Jesus' frame and worldview, it's the beginning of the story. We just don't know the end of it. And what Jesus does, and the reason why that means for us, for those listening, it means Jesus saying something serious here. Jesus, I may need to talk to you about this. We may need to enter into this. You guys know this personally. If Jesus ever comes and convicts you of something in your life, it isn't finality. It's just the start of the conversation. Right? And so that's what it means here. This shouldn't terrify us. It's just the start of the conversation with Jesus. And I want you guys to get this. The father, the master throughout, he gave them talents. Isn't that generous? And not only that, he doesn't pronounce judgment that this person is going to get this, but he leaves the door open for him to negotiate. Is that a harsh master? No. So the servant who got one talent just had a bad view of the master. And so what is it that we take from this? And so what is this getting at? That in the kingdom of God, it is not about whether you fail or succeed. It's about faithfulness. It's about trying, baby. It's all about trying in the kingdom of God. So what is it going to take to see the kingdom of God come to earth, to come to your life and our community? It's going to take a lot of try, right? It's just going to take a lot of doing this stuff. True failure in the kingdom of God is not dependent on the outcome of a try. It is the failure to try. And Jesus makes it clear that you don't want to be like the servant who failed to try. Now, the word try may not seem important, but it is that thing that moves you between the gap of inaction and action. The biggest gap in life. The biggest gap in life is like, hey, I think I should do this thing. To then saying, hey, I'm doing this thing. <laughs> Look at me. That's the biggest gap in life. All of us have these things. Well, Jesus may be telling me to do this, and I'll talk to someone about that. Then we'll meet be like, hey, have you done that thing? Nah. I don't know if it's Jesus' will or not. Well, that's the biggest gap in life, and that's where we lose the kingdom of God on a daily basis. The gap between inaction and action. The gap between inaction and action is where the chaos of the world and kingdom your purpose meets. Last week, we said that giving up doesn't mean walking away from Jesus, but it may look a lot like disappointment that leads to a lack of expectancy. It looks like delaying your purpose until tomorrow. Satan will never tell you not to do kingdom things. He'll just tell you to do them tomorrow, next time. Um, and what Tri says to that is anything worth doing is worth doing right now. It's worth doing today. Try never delays purpose. And for me, the reason why Try is so important to my faith is because it pretty much has to be. Um, I'm... I think I'm fairly smart, not in all areas, certain areas. I'm a diligent person, very mission-oriented person. If you've been around me in close proximity, you have seen me stop in prayer and listen to the Lord to see if he wants to bring wisdom to the situation. You've probably seen me a lot of times if you're complaining about your back, I pray for you, I go for it. And whether it happens or not, most of you have been on my failure side of things, but it's looking up these days. I am always trying because I'm also a man who has 
had to overcome a lot of self-doubt in life. As a young man, I had a major authority figure always speak over my life that I don't know what I'm doing and I can't handle the truth. And it was spoken over me so much to the point that it created a self-fulfilling prophecy and a fatalistic worldview. I didn't want what was said to be true, so I would never try anything because I didn't want what was said to be true. And so, in fact, because I never tried, it did become true. Because of my own weakness, um, I've needed to try so much. I have lost a lot of opportunities in life in years, like years have been wasted because of that. And yet, I have become a pretty good trier in recent years um, because of that. I'm not afraid to do things that others would never do because they care what people would think of them or would be eaten up with fear. Granted, I still fear, but I just go for it because I don't want to lose any more time. I don't know how much time I have. I want to be about the kingdom. I want to try. I'm willing to go all out and look weird, and what's probably a lot of you have described me in that way. Like he prayed for me. It was weird. (laughs) Because I'm trying to move in the kingdom. Because I've lost so many years to the fear of failure and what people think. My weakness has given me a rather unusual advantage in moving in the kingdom of God in these later years of my life. And I don't know what your weakness is, but today it could become your power. So the kingdom of God is not about whether you fail or succeed. It's about faithfulness. It's about trying. That's what I think the parable is getting at this morning. And as a pastor, I want to tell you, I spend most of my time thinking about how to turn believers into triers. That's where I spend most of my time. The American church uses content-based discipleship, which means sermons, books, and et cetera, and how we choose to disciple We spend a lot of time accumulating information because we think it will help our trying, but in the end, we never just get around to trying the stuff. We're always accumulating information. And you may think that to see more kingdom stuff in your life that you need to believe better or be more knowledgeable or you need to believe more confidently. Um, But really, you probably just need to get better at trying. You probably just need to do the stuff and actually doing what you believe. That's the way to build more faith in your life. James, who is a pretty hard but person, we know James, he's the brother of Jesus, but he didn't come to know Jesus or believe Jesus was the Messiah until after Jesus left, and then, and then he became um, uh, the church leader in Jerusalem. Um, he said this in James 2, verse 18 through 20, but someone will say, you have faith, uh, but, some, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, good. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. Senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? And so that may seem harsh, but what James is saying is, hey, you may talk a lot about what you believe. You may sit in discussions, but I'll show you by my faith, by my try. Right? I'll show you by my faith, by how, I try, by how I'm trying to live that out. Whether I am succeeding or failing, it doesn't matter. You will see my faith by my try. And that's what he's saying. Fake tries. And we have to get out of this idea that we think we just need to believe more and more. And that's why in a few weeks we're going to have this discussion on discovery Bible studies because it's about obedience-based discipleship, not content-based 
obedience-based. Because as we read the passage and we say, what does this mean to me and how can I live this out? And we say, okay, my I will statement for this week is I will try to do this one thing. What we don't understand is that revelation of God, learning to learn more of God comes through obedience. And when we obey Jesus, we get more revelation of Jesus that is actually real to us than content that's not real yet. And so obedience-based discipleship, following Jesus, trying-based discipleship helps you know Jesus more. And so I want to end this sermon, and I want to give you guys a few ways to how to be good triers. Like, how do I enter try in my life? Um, um, a few of these are Jordan's sayings. They are what have been big in my life, but a few of these are also mine. I'll let you know which ones are which and see which ones you like more. His are better. But number one, this is his, try knows how to fail. Try knows how to fail. Faith, okay, so not trying will never be faith. Trying and failing can be faith. Because you're moving in it. You're being obedient to what Jesus says about the kingdom. Jesus, when he sent his disciples out, told them to preach that the kingdom of God is near. And if they don't accept you, leave the town, shake it off. You know, I wish we had Taylor Swift, just, Taylor Swift just to jump in right now. Just shake it off if you fail. In other words, if you fail, move on. Literally shake it off. You can't get stuck in failure because... Otherwise, the ability of the kingdom to flow through you gets stuck also. Failure can't stop you. Failure is not always your fault. Sometimes it is, and that's why there's mercy and grace in the kingdom, and you can try it again. So here's my encouragement to you guys. Fail fast, fail often, and move on. Kingdom people don't have time to wallow in failure. Um. Aaron McCarter and them came to me for the last six months of taking over our Knoxville church. Yes, we used to have one. And he said, hey, do you, do you want to try? And I was like, crap, he said try. Of course I do. <laughs> and, and we all knew it would take a miracle. But we tried, and we closed that thing down, baby. <laughs> six months in, we closed that thing down. And you may think, that bothers me because in church planning world, if you close something down, that's not successful. I don't believe that. I believe we were successful because we were faithful. At the end of the day, if you come to me and be like, does that scar you? No. It's given me more faith. I was able to be faithful and fail big. <laughs> and after that, I came immediately here. And then I had some people come over to me from Knoxville who were kind of hurt by that. They go, you don't seem to be down and sad. You don't seem to be um, needing to take time. And I'm just really confused by that, which is actually a good question and a good heart. And I go, and I was like, guys, I've, I can't stop. I can't wallow in failure. It does hurt. I love that community. I loved it. Spent four years and none of it paid, right? It wasn't for pay. It wasn't for a job. It was because I loved Knoxville. I loved the community. I wanted to see, see the kingdom come. Um, but I can't stop because of failure. I got to keep on going. So try knows how to fail. Also, um, trying is in the midst. This is also Jordan saying, um, trying in the midst of life, in the midst of the chaos of your everyday life is where you find purpose. You may think chaos may stop. It's not going to. 
But trying, you have to try in the midst of chaos. It is where the opportunities to bring the kingdom pop up. We are to bring the kingdom to everyone, every day, everywhere in the midst of life. A man came to Jesus and said, I will follow you, but let me go bury my father. And Jesus said, no, the kingdom is now, the fields are ripe, you have to come follow me. Don't get distracted by the big stuff because purpose is now. And so trying is in the midst of everyday life. You can't be distracted by the chaos. We have to enter in. Thirdly, trying is routine. Um, Let me say this. In the kingdom of God, you are what you schedule. You don't have purpose in your life if you don't schedule purpose routinely. Um, I would say that if you want to get better at hearing God's voice, then you need to schedule some time every day to listen and write down what you may be hearing. If you want to enter the work of reconciliation in your community, then you need to invite some people in your community over to dinner and get to know them, right? You have to try, and it's really hard to try if we don't schedule it. It's really hard to uh, move in purpose if we don't schedule it routinely in our lives. So try is routine. And then next, try has a tribe, right? The best people you can surround yourself with in life are people that believe and can try, that believe you can try the things of God. When you listen to someone like me talk, you can kind of believe you have the ability to do the works of the kingdom. But when you get around people who are trying, it will light a flame in your spirit. More than anything, um, I will sacrifice my time and my life to be around a group of triers. Um, There were a few of us that gathered for our weekly prayer last week, and we tried. We prayed for healing in our community. We prayed for healing in our church. Then we prayed for healing with one another. We laid hands, asked God to come bless one another. And it just lights my soul when you get people who will try, who will enter into the tough things of the kingdom, and then will ignite your faith too. Um, I wanted, I remember the first time Aaron McCarter invited me to a staff meeting at the vineyard. We had a group of people and we were worshiping, and then there was time where we just sat and listened to God. As a Baptist, I've never done that before. Um, so I'm like, this is weird. And then Aaron McCarter's like, I have this vision in the back of my head, and it's this, it's for you. And then Josh Armstrong is like, hey, I have this word from the Lord, it's for you. And I was like, I knew, I knew it. I knew it. I knew Jesus talked to people in real time. I wasn't around anyone who believed it or tried it. And then I just hung out with the tribe, and I started to be like, oh, Jesus has been talking to me all this time. I just didn't understand all the different ways he talks. And try has a tribe where it's okay to fail, where where it's okay to step out on a word that may or may not be from God because there's grace. And so we need a tribe. And let me say, you're my tribe. And I love you guys. Next thing, last thing, try hinges on what you think God is like. Right? He went and dug his talent in the ground because he thought God was this harsh master, reaping what he hasn't sown. Remember last week I told you the story of John Wimber? If you're here last week, John Wimber, the founder of the vineyard, they preached and prayed for healing for nine months. They never saw it. He felt like a hypocrite. This doesn't work, but I see we're supposed to do it in the Bible. And he was complaining to God, and then he got asked to go to this hospital room. And he said just this weak, small prayer. And the woman was like, oh, my gosh, I'm healed. And he goes, what? 
And she was like, no, I'm here. And he was like, are you sure? And she was like, yes. And then he was like, okay, I'll see you later. He runs out. He jumps in the car. He's like, God, we got one. We got one. It's been nine months. We pray for hundreds of people. We got one. And then that led to a ministry where he just saw it all the time. Even though, like last week, I said he didn't always see it for himself. Um, he was riddled with sicknesses and problem with it his whole life, but he saw it for everyone else. What I didn't tell you is on his way home that day, he was on his way home, and, and I'm going to read this. He saw a vision, and he pulled over, and he wanted to see it more and engage with God on it. He says, this honeycomb was dripping honey, and the people standing below the honeycomb were responding in different ways. Some were receiving it with thanksgiving and entreating others to enjoy it. And the more they gave away, the more they received. Others, however, were indignant, annoyed with the sticky substance, and they were complaining about the mess. And then God told me that the honey was representative of his mercy. I sensed the Lord say, my mercy endures forever. My mercy is healing and the salvation of man. Mercy is poured out for everyone, and for some it is a blessing, but others will reject it. There's plenty for everyone. Never beg for my mercy again. The problem is not on this end. It's down there. And from that point on, Wimber said he never complained to God about God being stingy because he knew mercy was for everyone. Salvation was for everyone. That God's love endures and his mercy endures forever. And if you don't believe that about God, then you won't be a good trier. Now, if you think God, Jesus is like a Western worldview God on success and failure, you won't try that much. But if you believe God is just in the faithfulness, no matter the outcome, you'll try a lot, right? Okay, can the band come up? We're going to end today. I'm going to have a few questions for you guys, but would you guys say that it would be weird to talk about try and not try, right? Would that be like, just talking about our faith but not actually doing our faith. Hey, so we're going to try this morning. Um, don't worry. We're going to do ways in which we normally do here at the Vineyard. Uh, the first way is, right, the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God, when God order comes, it brings things that are in disorder into order. And I have for you, is there any disorder in your life, in your relationships, in your body, or disorder with what you think of God? Um, I'm going to ask you, we're going to have some people there in the back on the right side, go and get prayer this morning. Um, the second thing I'm, I want to ask you is this, and, I, and I'm going to give you some time to think about it, is what's the last thing God told you to try? Have you done it? And so as we enter in here, as Daniel starts playing the piano, I'm going to give you a few seconds to do that. And then, hey, we're going to try something. Um, you guys are used to the way we do blessing prayer around here, right? I'm asking you to stand and receive, and I pray a blessing over you. And here's the truth. I got okay from Lindsay. Here's the deal. My gift is healing. So I was like, I'm going to lead with my gift. Um, I'm not going to do that because it feels like Jesus wants to do something else. But um, when we come to that, and honestly, I'm just going to pray because this is the one thing I feel. I feel like Jesus is saying that you need to be encouraged. As I'm preaching, I feel this fire in my heart, which, which is part of listening to God. And I think God wants to ignite that fire again. I think some fire has gone out. And so I'm gonna bless you in the name of Jesus. 
um, after we spend some time just thinking over, Jesus, what's, what's the one thing I should try this week? And so I'm gonna bless you guys in the next few seconds, converse with God about the last thing he told you to try and have you done.